We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 136, on Missable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm joined by a friend of the show and one of the quickest and trickiest Twitter handles. It's Levon, better known as Barcelev on Twitter. How you doing today, Levon? I'm good, I'm good. Yourself? I'm pretty good. Uh, now, one of us has recently returned from the Camp Nou when they faced against Manchester United, and it wasn't me. So the reasoning you're on today's show is obviously you are the expert. Saw that in person, because today we're doing a post-Manchester United pre-Liverpool edition of La Ronda. So it's just listener questions from our closed Facebook group today because we got so many good questions regarding Barcelona's quest for the Champions League. I wanted to not only bring on the guy who was at the Camp Nou to watch Barcelona dismantle uh, Man United on Tuesday, but again, I also wanted to bring a friend back on the show, Levon. Uh, what do you think about all that's going on here? I mean, first of all, the Camp Nou was lovely. Um, it, it helped a lot. That It helped and it did not help. I mean, it helped for our mood that the match was pretty much decided after, what was it, 15, 20 minutes when yeah. Messi scored that second goal. For sure. So so everybody relaxed. I think for, for like an optimal um, uh, come now experience, uh, you want that tension to to last longer uh, so that that release uh, comes in, say, the 80th minute. That's when the stadium will go absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But after 20 minutes, everybody was just chilling, even though like the first couple of minutes, we were looking at each other like, oh, what the hell? What's going right. on? Yeah, yeah. Um, the guy next to me said, was like, am I, am I dreaming? Am I having a nightmare? Because Manchester United really started out um, very, very well and put us under a lot of pressure. But that only lasted seven minutes. Messi did this thing and everything was smooth from there. Yeah, I basically had to stopwatch out and Barcelona were only in Manchester United's half of the field for about 12 seconds in the first five minutes of the game, which was, again, a worrying sign. But you mentioned the name that's going to start and kick this show off, and it is Lionel Messi, where I feel like, Levon, because I'm trying to break down the rest of the squad and go into so much detail in, you know, in recent shows that we go weeks without talking about Messi, which is a really surprising thing because he obviously is not only the core, but he's what makes Barcelona tick, why they're going to win the Champions League if they do, uh, and why they win La Liga when they do. And the question about Messi we're going to start with is, is a rather fun one. Does Messi really not score against English teams? And where we'll start this question with, I want to go back, and this is just from my research, but back in 2010, during a pre-match discussion for a match between Manchester City and Everton, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, so uh, two UK commentators, were discussing Ballon d'Or nominees. This again back in 2010. Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Again, this could be 2018, 2019, but this was 2010. Uh, and Gray questioned how Messi would do against EPL opponents, 
And thus was born that that question that has been contrived in many di- different ways, but sums down to, but can they do it on a cold, rainy night in Stoke? And, and that's become a punchline and a joke. And, it, you know, you, you're you both English-speaking, but in Barcelona. And, you know, it's funny how the UK media, as much as that's become a joke, it seems like they still ask that question. But 24 goals, and a reminder here that Messi doesn't play against them in the EPL or anything else, but he scores only against Man United, Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, and Spurs. Those are the teams he scored against in the UK. So he's only scoring against the top, top teams because they're the ones in the Champions League. And, you know, 24 times over all these years, he scored in in finals. He scored in last 16s. He actually has only six of those 24 coming in the group stage. So all of the other times are when the lights are even brighter. Uh, Obviously, the answer is, can he score on a cold, rainy night in Stoke? Yeah, he could probably have two hat tricks. But uh, other than that, I think this fear that he can't score against English teams. uh, Levon, what's your impression of uh, that idea and why that still seems to persist somewhere? I mean, you hit the nail on his head. The question is not, can he score um, on a cold, rainy night in Stoke? The question is, can he score two hat tricks on a cold, rainy night in Stoke? Because we know he can score. Um, at the same time, when, when, whenever, like, because it's been so many times now that Messi has bossed uh, English teams, whether that be Manchester United or Arsenal or Chelsea or uh, Manchester City or Tottenham, that I, th- I think most English commentators are well aware nowadays that this guy is actually really, really, really good. Yeah, and that's, that's almost an the- understatement, yeah. So when um, I don't listen to English commentators, but I'll, I'll, I'll read match, match reports um, because I'm one of those news junkies. Uh, after we win, uh, I like reading reports about it, mm-hmm. see what other people th- think also. Uh, and it's pretty clear that, you know, it's no longer a surprise for them that Messi scores wonderful goals. That, that rainy night in, uh, in, in, what is it, Stoke? Yeah. Like that, that storm has, uh, has passed. Mm-hmm. It's more of a drizzle. Yeah. <laughs> and you saw at the camp know uh, that that even though that that second goal from Messi uh, was a mistake from De Gea, uh, there are those those narratives, of course, that the EPL, because it's still uh, because of broad and we talked about this on the sh- in, on this show, because of global broadcast availability, the EPL or the BPL is still seen as that top league. And because Messi's not playing in what, again, because of availability people find as this unequivocal top league in terms of talent and depth and all of these things, all the narratives that are built uh, due to just accessibility. Um, it, it seems to me that you kind of have to wait. It, it seems like and the same thing will happen against Liverpool. It, it's guaranteed. Now it's going to be different because they start at the camp. No, and then go to Anfield. But for Messi, it, it's this moment that you think it's the same thing with why wasn't Messi scoring in recent quarterfinals or, or Suarez doesn't have a, in a way champions league goal, which we'll talk about him in a, in a, in a few questions. But with Messi, it just seems against the English teams that unfortunately that, that commentator biases, you're kind of just still waiting, but the, the, the history and the records show that he's done it plenty of times and it's not a matter of waiting. It's just, it's, it's that game is in a vacuum and it's, it is a hard thing to do when it comes to Champions League, when it comes particularly against those old, established English teams, it's difficult to just see those games in a vacuum. And again, I think it's really helpful that you were at the match to kind of just be in that match. That regardless of what's happening, yes, it's a two, it's a tie. So what happened in the first leg is important for the second leg. You can ask Pep Guardiola and Man City and Tottenham after that one. But, you know, it, it, it just matters what's happening in that game, in that moment. And Messi and Suarez, they're not thinking about all the times they haven't scored. Um, the guys who do are guys like Coutinho, which, again, sets us up for 
a next question in La Ronda. Are you ready for that one, Levon? Yes, sure. So the one we got here is from James. With Coutinho killing the tie and celebrating the way he did, what happened this season, and was it just confidence? Could Coutinho be, and this is in quotes, back? I mean, there, there are so many uh, answers to that question. There are so many levels to it. For, first of all, in the second half, Manchester played without any belief, and there was this, this whole sequence where Barcelona was just playing the ball around for fun, and that led to Manchester United basically going, well, okay, we're not really in this game anymore. And they were the first team in maybe six months that let Coutinho do what Coutinho does well, which is shoot from 25 yards, like having having enough space to take that shot. Of course, he still has one of the best long-distance shots in the world. So, of course, if you're going to give him that space, there's a chance of that goal going in. But up until then, he was not playing well. The first half, he was not playing well. Is he back? I hope so. It can only be good for us. Mm, does his goal change a lot? Maybe, um, maybe... It, there's a mental switch where he has a bit more confidence. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. However, the quintessential Coutinho problem still exists. We, we're, we're playing him in a position that, um, that he's not really meant to play. And one beautiful goal does not change that. Uh, and for 160 million euros, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. He made Pogba seem like 100 million euros. If you think I pay 160 million for Coutinho, who wasn't doing much until that goal, then maybe... Pogba was not that overrated either. I mean, all, all of his money is crazy nowadays anyway. We shouldn't pay any, yeah. pay this kind of money for anybody. But for me, the, the stadium was very uh, appreciative uh, towards Coutinho. He got a standing ovation when he went off. I would say that the camp now has always supported Coutinho a lot. Uh, it got to the point where if he dribbled the ball for 10 meters, people would applaud him just to encourage him. So that's that's good. It's very unlike to come now to do that for players for so long, yeah. but they've always supported him. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, this summer, I would still sell him because if you have Dembélé and Coutinho playing for uh, playing for the same position, it doesn't make sense to keep both of them. And I would rather keep Dembélé. But if he uh, flipped the switch and starts playing well now, that can only be to our advantage, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and and I think the dip in form is something that is uh, very you know, both qualitative and quantitative, where for Coutinho this year in the Champions League, he really only scores when Barcelona are dominating those matches. He has the three goals. It was a 4-2 win against Tottenham, 5-1 against Lyon, and the 3-0 against Man United, obviously, on Tuesday. That's when he bags his goals. In the Liga, meanwhile, he had four goals and one assist by the time he got injured in mid-November, where he missed those two games. And since then, since he missed just those two games with injury, he collected an assist against Ibar and the goal in the 4-4 draw with Villarreal, and that was it. And then for the Copa del Rey, it's three goals, including a brace in the 6-1 win over Sevilla. So another blowout for Barcelona and a goal prior to that against Levante. So in total, that's 11 goals and five assists in 47 matches. You compare that to last year, he had 10 goals and six assists in 22 matches when he came over in January. So clearly, uh, he is half the player that he was last year. Or let's say he was in the formula was last year. He could have doubled his output, uh, both in goals and assists. And the name you mentioned there that's the key to all of this is the emergence of Dembele has a big thing to do with it. Where last year, obviously, Dembele was hurt. Uh, or not in form, and he couldn't really be trusted, was giving the ball away way, way too much. Uh, so, you know, Valverde had to, he was the guy on the short leash. He was the guy that Valverde had to worry about. Um, but the other thing I want to say in Coutinho's uh, defense, as, as has always been the case, you know, we saw how good he was when he came over from January last year. We saw how good he was in the year and a half prior to that, straight in Liverpool, and the way he's been playing for Brazil as well. 
And over the last right. 10 years, it doesn't matter who you name. You can uh, Hazard, Courtois, Benzema, Neuer, every superstar except Messi and Ronaldo has seen a substantial dip in form at some time in their career. And that, it, that does affect form. It does affect confidence. And it's hit every single player with the exception of Messi and Ronaldo. They're the only two in the last 10 years who have never seen that dip in confidence or form. Uh, and I think this is what this is Coutinho's valley. And you have to think that a player of his caliber that showed in the prior years that he's able to get back to a level. Now, yes, not every player fits at Barcelona. So I agree with you. That's why he needs to be sold because he is a player that will find his confidence, find his form again. But you know, the question was going to be, uh, I guess almost like an Alexis Sanchez to a point. I don't know if that's ever going to be in La Grana. I think Sanchez wasn't... Was was another uh, matter altogether because I think Sanchez fit a lot better in uh, in our team than Coutinho does. I agree with that. Uh, the problem yeah, with I Coutinho is if you shove him into that front line, then you have Coutinho, Suarez, and and Messi, uh, which is basically a front line that has no speed whatsoever. Me- Messi's fast, but he's only fast like five times a game because he only needs to run five times a game. That's when he chooses his moments. Yeah, um, walking to glory. And, yeah. and he's only fa- <laughs> and, and he's only fast on on the ball. Suarez is not fast anymore. No. So you, you need somebody who can make that run into space off the ball. And Coutinho is not that. So being the fact that he cannot be the protagonist in the front line either because you need Messi who actually passes the through ball, um, Coutinho is handicapped at that left forward spot. Now, being handicapped at that left forward spot, once Dembele really took off and started making that, uh, started like bringing it on a regular basis, Coutinho started to play even worse because he's he's not blind he's not stupid he he's he can also see what's happening and he knows that if Dembele really plays well there's no way he can compete with that and it seemed that with um, both Dembele and Messi playing in forward uh, in the in the front line and not defending that much there's no space for Coutinho in midfield either because then there's no compensation for the for the lack of defense of Dembele and Messi right so I mean it's really unfortunate but in that case what what do you do uh, if you're Barca I think Coutinho is out no matter how he plays the rest of the the rest of the season. Yep, yep, for sure, and that'll be one that we'll look at. And another one of the speaking of uh, transfer potential, uh, we got two IX questions real quick. And the first is a, I guess, a simple one from Gerardo. Would a potential matchup with IX hurt the club's relationship? Uh, and I would say I don't think so at all. I think it's going to be just a lot of honor guards and a, a lot of celebration of Cruyff if that would happen in the final, uh, particularly because yeah. it's a final. There's so many narratives, so many stories, and I think it would almost be more fun going down memory lane and going all you know all the deep dives, all the all the things you'd see about the history between the two clubs. I think that actually would be, uh, if anything, it would strengthen the bond. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of love between Ajax and Barcelona right now with uh, with the young and probably the Licht uh, moving to Barcelona this summer. And also, let's not forget that Barcelona knows how to win. The last Champions League final that they won, they gave the honor guard to, uh, to Juventus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they also know how to lose. I mean, we, the Camp now applauded Atleti off the pitch when Atleti won the league. Yep. So w- w- whatever happens, win, win or lose, there will be a lot of love. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that... Heart, heart, hearts will be broken because it's the Champions League final. Right. Uh, I, I also kind of suspect that if we were to lose a Champions League final, then Ajax would be the least traumatic because it's such a fairy tale for them. 100%. Yep. Still traumatic, though. <laughs> but um, I also think that we'd absolutely butcher Ajax if it comes to a final. I, you know, I, I think we're 
we're going to think about Liverpool first before those things happen. But Enrique asks, uh, and you brought up the name of Delict. Is Delict playing the Barcelona transfer news the right way? And my thinking with this is with Sung Hyung Min, who's been fantastic for Tottenham. He was wonderful against uh, Man City. With him missing through suspension and Harry Kane probably missing through injury, I think Ajax should be right to have even more confidence in that semifinal. And so I think Delict is obviously playing it the right way. I mean, it's not even that he denied it in his comments uh, yesterday. He merely said that I'm focused on the semi final and we have the semifinal that's what i am excited about and i think that's fair for a 35 year old to say that and it's certainly uh the right move and and a, a great bit of uh media savvy from a 19 year old as well he's so mature isn't it i uh, i think the only danger for, for for ajax because yeah uh they're missing son through the suspension and um what's his name kane yeah probably Harry uh, Kane, yeah. To, to to injury uh, I, I think the only danger for Ajax is that after Madrid and Juventus, they might think Tottenham is easier. Yeah. So m- m- maybe mentally they won't be as prepared as for those other two opponents. But with the way that they've been playing, you, you have to think they are clear, clear favorites. As for the, the Licht, how he's playing the, the transfer questions, I mean, it must be tiring that every match that you play, you get asked the same questions. Mm-hmm. It's like having a uh, baby, right? It's like when, well, when are you due? What, what, and all those questions that come with pregnancy. That's what I kind of feel. It, it it's like mm. where you know what's going to happen at the end of the, you know, like oh, you know, it's only due when it's due. So when the baby, it's time for the baby, the baby will come. And the same thing, it's when it's time for the transfer, the transfer will come. But in the interim, you know, you're going to get a million questions. Some are going to be even rude and out of nowhere, like you know, are you pregnant? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and those kind of things when you're clearly pregnant. True. I mean, and, and I've never we don't there. really know what the deal is. Um... Barca, both Bartomeu and uh, Guillermo Amor have hinted very heavily that he's coming. Mm-hmm. So if it turns out that he chooses another club, they, they would look very bad. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't know, right? And if he comes or not, either way, um, him saying, hey, I don't, I haven't decided yet or no comments or I don't know yet or no answer for you, that doesn't really change anything. Yeah, and I think you, you just, I mean, you have to say that. that That's professionalism. And, you know, as I said, I made the, the pregnancy comparison, but obviously I've never been pregnant, so I can't, uh, I can't speak to that. But uh, what I can speak to is the fact that Liverpool, now as we shift gears from Ajax to Liverpool, is that Liverpool is going to be, uh, not to say that they're going to be tougher than what Ajax or, or Tottenham should be in the final, but Liverpool really is that hurdle where, um, as, as we're, again, I always bring up the NBA, but where the NBA is right now, there's this feeling that if the Rockets and the Warriors, if they meet in the second round, that really does feel like the conference final, where on the other side of the bracket, it's going to be a little different. And the comparison here stands where I think for Liverpool and Barcelona, that the victor of that is going to be the heavy favorite. So Rick asks, how will Barcelona yeah. defend Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, and Mohamed Salah, that trio? Should it be Roberto or Semedo for this reason? And should Duth also asks, how will Barcelona deal with Liverpool's pressure? So this is really the same idea, that Barcelona are going to play the way they play. You know that. That's what Valverde is going to do. He could, again, switch to a 4-4-2 to be a little more defensive in the second one at Anfield. But, again, because they start at the Camp no, it kind of changes everything. And, you, mm-hmm. and, and the way they've been playing this Champions League campaign, they always end in the Camp no. So they went away to Lyon, they went away to Man United, and they got some result not a negative result but they got they didn't put the tie away and they they planned on destroying the opponent at home they've done it twice now now things are a little different tactically so i would expect though that the way that pk dealt with rashford 
I expect him to deal with a combination of uh, Salah, uh, probably, well, actually probably Mane, because Mane will be on the left. So he'll probably deal with Mane and then Firmino in the exact same way that he dealt with um, Man United in that second one, where they had Lingard right behind, uh, playing at that attacking midfield behind Rashford, and uh, the other the other forward, but uh, the way he dealt that PK one on one was dealing with Rashford, kind of giving him space, trying to force him out wide, and then putting the trust that Roberto or Semedo is going to really be that second help, uh, and then force Liverpool to try to have to build through their midfield. Which, as we know, that Milner and Henderson and the like, uh, and and Naby Keita, if he's there, they can hit a pass. But I don't know how worried you are about them from scoring from the midfield. Very much like Barcelona. So I expect them to really dig deep and to to collapse that space on that front three. Uh, and instead of letting them get on the front foot and pressure and, and pressure you, it's going to be uh, just about if you have to hoof it long, but most likely going to play on the flanks. Okay, so so here's the thing: it's it's not about how Piquet or and Longley and either Semedo or Sergio Roberto and um, Jordi Alba deal with uh, Salah, um, Mane, and Firmino. Um, it, it's about taking away the, 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 the game situations in which those three players end up doing the most damage. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's um, very much in being careful to not give the ball away in dangerous positions. Uh, so it's going to be about how, how we play when, when we have the ball, even more than how we play when we don't have the ball. Um, for example, the first leg at Old Trafford, when Busquets uh, kept playing silly passes uh, or losing the ball, when uh, both Jordi Alba and Longley were very jittery and could not play the ball out of defense well, that's when Liverpool will hurt you. And, and, and that's when no defenders are going to save you against uh, Salah and Mane and Firmino because uh, their interplay is very, very smart. And they're very, they're very fast, and they're very sharp. So if if we lose the ball in tr- transition too many times, they will punish us. So h- how how to deal with those three is by not giving up a lot of transition uh, situations. Yeah, and I, I think that if at the end of the the match, if we've said, "Wow, even Rakitic had a fantastic game," if those are the kind of things coming out of our mouth, I think we're in a good place. I think Rakitic is gonna as he's had all season, he's going to have a ton of pressure on him to close down those passing lanes. And as you as you mentioned, it's a lot easier to cut the head off the top of the monster than to deal with the whole body. And that's what happens if those front three get the ball and get too much, not even, as you said, not space, but if, if they get sight of the ball and are able to uh, collect from the midfield and they're able to come up and bring it together or break out on the counterattack. Um, and so the, the second part of that question, uh, as we kind of answered how, how they're going to deal with the pressure, but... For Roberto and Semedo, the way that, again, Arnaso everybody's been doing it, he's been going with Semedo in what is, when they're going for the, not the draw, but when they're going for the more conservative result on the road, he went with Semedo and then Roberto at home. But now with things inversed, I wonder if it's going to be, we might, I think we might see Roberto in both ties. If that's going to be the case, Semedo will play on the weekends in La Liga. Um, if he goes Roberto at home in the first leg uh, at the Camp Nou, and Barcelona are kind of going for it. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be decently conservative even at home, and because it's a first leg. But I, I think we might see Roberto just to add that little bit of a um, attacking continuity. Not necessarily that he's better at going forward or physically, but just that continuity that he brings uh, with his connections with his teammates uh, that is a little more tried and true. 
And then with Semedo, I think it's going to depend on the result of that first leg. So we could see Semedo if it's something that Barcelona on the front foot. But again, if Barcelona have to still be going for it at Anfield, I think we'll see Roberto in both ties. I, I, th- I think I'm pretty happy with that answer. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how, what's going to happen because Balbada has become pretty unpredictable. Yeah, which with, is good. Uh, w- w- which one of those two will start? Um, I'm a big fan of Semedo. Um, I generally prefer Semedo over Sergio Roberto. I think Semedo should be our um, first choice right back. However, against Liverpool, it's those uh, it's it's those transitions that I'm afraid of, and Sergio Roberto adds that security on the ball. Um, he's a, probably a bit stronger um, offensively, but more thinking about uh, keeping possession of the ball, he's he's a safer choice. Uh, the problem is when you lose the ball, Semedo is a better choice to actually catch up on the attacker and add some speed to that defense. So uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a dilemma. I mean, like I always said, I wish we could just like go to a lab and combine the two into yeah. one player because he'd be the perfect right back, yeah. but we can't. So we have to choose. Mane is fast. Um, he is fast. He's fast, yeah. yeah. He's fast, and uh, also Liverpool have two excellent fullbacks. Um, Alex, what's his name? Alexander Arnold, who's only twenty years. Yep, Trent Alexander Arnold. Yep. Yeah, he, he, he's incredible. And then they have the the Scottish guy on the left, Robertson, who's pretty good as well. Yep, Andrew Robertson. Um, for 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 me, the two players that uh, are absolutely crucial. Rakitic is pretty dependable, so he'll give us whatever he tends to give us. Uh, Busquets needs to be on. He needs to have a good game. Yeah, I think Busquets has been. Um, hmm, I wouldn't say poor, but if you ask me, hey, give me uh, your best team of La Liga this season, Busquets would not even make the bench. So if if Busquets has, has a poor game, we're screwed. Uh, and then the other guy that we depend on is Messi. Um, how will Liverpool deal with Messi? Messi can Messi can decide the tie at the camp now. Yeah, I would agree with what that. Is, yeah. And then what does Liverpool will, do to answer? I think putting the pressure on Liverpool to answer at Anfield is uh is the goal in the first leg. Right. And and, and it's not just this season that um the the knockout games the are are decided at the camp now. Um it has always been like this for us. Mm-hmm. So let's see, back in uh, our first travel, uh we drew against Lyon, and then we took it home to the Camp Nou, where we won, like, what, 5-2? Then we drew against Bayern. Um, no, actually, we we beat Bayern 4-0 at home, and then we drew away 1-1 in the quarters. Uh, then the last trouble with Luis Enrique was pretty much the same thing. Um, the semi-final against Bayern, we won 3-0 at home, and we already decided the semi-finals right there. Mm-hmm. The, the away game, we ended up... Uh, we ended up losing that game, I think, 3-2. So in, in, in that sense, it really does not matter where we play first. I think it would be better to play at Anfield first. But whether that Anfield game comes first or second, we need to decide this tie at the Camp now. If we don't get a good result at the Camp now, then we're going to look at... Hmm, then we will need a lot of luck to go through because we're simply not strong um, away in Europe. And the other thing that might happen is... For example, what if Klopp decides to um, to ruin the pitch for the away game? They did it at Chelsea last year. The pitch was unplayable. Um, they kind of did it at Old Trafford, Old Trafford as well. 
the pitch was dry. That's why we could not play the ball from our back. That's why Busquets tr- struggled so much and made so many bad passes because the pitch was unplayable. And uh, I, I don't think that that is um, that there's anything wrong with the team uh, doing that. I just recognize that we are not always prepared to deal with those conditions. I don't think Klopp did it in Germany when he played against Pep's Bayern. So he might not do it at Anfield either, but it would make sense for them to do it. Yeah. Yeah, but it does so, put a, it put, does put a stain on it if you if you wind up getting a victory. But it, I think in the same respect, nobody remembers that. You just remember beating Barcelona in the semifinals, regardless of how it happened. Uh, and we kind of have been answering Victor's question of what's the tactical approach over the two legs with Camp No first and Anfield second. And I think we both agree that you go for it at the Camp No. And I think in the same respect that, um, yeah, as much as Barcelona will, you, we think of us as being the pres- the possession based uh, team that's going to try to absorb the pressure. Um, and not necessarily counterattack, but just play better football. But in the same respect, I don't think uh, for as good as the, the defense of Liverpool has been, Barcelona's defense has been just as good. And to the, the idea that Barcelona can't counterattack, not always messy a one-man counterattack, but uh, let's not continue to sleep on Dembele, where if you're at home, I think you go Roberto, you go Dembele, and may the best team win. I think Barcelona's quality is still because, again, they have... We started the show with Lionel Messi. Barcelona have Lionel Messi. Liverpool don't. And so there's no reason to be afraid. There's a reason to understand the pressure they're going to bring and tactically where Rakitic, Busquets, closing down those those passing lanes, our turn needs to be, the ways that Suarez is going to have to help back and defend and things like that. Like You have to give your opponent credit. But I think tactically, Victor, I think we know exactly what they need to do. They're going to play their 4-3-3 and force the opponent to play your way. You, you make Liverpool play Barcelona's way and not vice versa because Barcelona is going to beat them at that game uh, and then trust that they have some of the best ball-playing players in the world and that's how they're going to deal with the pressure. Exactly. And, and we also have to be patient. We cannot be lured into a, in, into a blow blow for blow like slugfest. Right. Because that, that would be to do, that would be playing in, into their hands. Um, Dembélé is kind of the X factor. I, I love Dembélé. I think he's the most exciting player to... Uh, uh, to have on your team. I love going to the stadium and when he plays. I enjoy watching him play more than Messi. Um, Messi is the best ever, but Dembele has that unpredictability that I just love. Um, however, he can win us the game. But he can also lose us the game. Right. Because Liverpool are going, are going to target him uh, or like whenever he gets the ball, everybody in Liverpool will be very well aware that sometimes he plays those... Uh, um, the, those horizontal passes that get intercepted really easily, and they're going they're going to target those moments to to try to create danger. Um, but then his creativity and his speed is so dangerous for 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 them as well. I mean, they're, they're going to have um, their right back. He will have to worry more about defending than about attacking. Um, that, that's just so many interesting matchups here. Jordi Alba against um, against Salah as well. Salah is just just coming into form because I don't think he was. He's been that good this season. No, not um, last year, obviously. Not as good as last year, but then he plays against uh, against Jordi Alba, who, you know, Jordi Alba is always in the opponent's half. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of interesting matchups. I have no idea who's going who's going to go through. Um, it's fifty fifty. Well, Ranga asks, who's your starting eleven for Liverpool? So I I'll get to put you on the spot here. Their starting or our starting eleven? Let's go our starting eleven. Um, Piqué, Longley, Jordi Alba. Uh, Sergio Roberto. Um, I'll have to go with Busquets and, and hope he does well. Rakitic, mm-hmm. uh, Artur, Messi, Suarez, Dembele. Yep. Um, however, I will say if Busquets does not play well, I would just um, 
substitute him at halftime. Like, I would not wait. Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult decision, right? That if, if Busquets is getting outplayed and he's not on his day, that would be one of the biggest decisions that Valverde has ever made. And that, that, would, that would be a managerial career deciding decision if he were to take Busquets out at halftime and to see what would happen there. Uh, and it's, but it's, those are the difficult decisions that wind up winning championships. And those are the ones that we write about later, right? Those are the ones that makes, that make the paperbacks about, you know, the difficult conversation that happens at halftime. And those are those, those defining moments. And I think the hope is that we don't get to that point. And, you know, the, the decision that he's going to have to make, though, with Busquets, uh, as we transition to one of our final questions here from Dean, that decision is not going to be able to be made with Suarez because Suarez has no backup. So regardless of how how uh, how mush he might be uh, in any half of this tie, he's going to play all 90 minutes in both games uh, because Dean asked, what's the deal with Suarez in the Champions League? Could the Liverpool reunion for Coutinho and Suarez galvanize them? And uh, to, to answer this one, that the worry is Suarez particularly on the road, does not score. Uh, he has not scored for multiple years now. But, you know, I, I think if it was... It's funny about Suarez, too, because as I was researching this question and looking into it, if it was FC Groningen um, instead of Tottenham, the final four would actually be the four European clubs that Suarez played for in Europe. So this really is uh, three-fourths of a Luis Suarez uh, final four. And obviously, Groningen would not be in the final four there. But in actuality, his best scoring rate is in order Grown again with a small sample size, obviously. Um, but then Barcelona, Ajax, Liverpool in that order. So we do remember him blowing up and becoming this world superstar for Liverpool. But again, that is an effect of the, the level that he was playing at. Obviously, Liverpool Liverpool is better than Ajax, who's better than Grown again. But he's actually been above 0.6 goals per game wherever he's been, which, if you don't know, is world class. And then in the Champions League, it's not that he plays different, but this season, it's not about him. That Messi has raised his game in the Champions League with 10 goals in eight games, and that's counting the sub appearance against Tottenham. And Suarez's five assists have been very helpful to that Messi equation. So, I, again, I do not worry about Suarez in that circumstance, that if it comes time that he needs to score a banger or do something to that effect, that Suarez is capable of this. And I don't think in the back of his mind he cares if it's he's on the road or away. I think it just winds up it just winds up being that Barcelona is more conservative on the road, so that gives him less opportunities. And I think that's all it comes down to. I, I think if it was any striker, it'd be a similar notion, the way that Barcelona are playing and the way that they're trying to feed Messi and let Messi be the decider in the matches. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I also say that um, people always look at the goals that strikers um, score, and it's important to score goals. But whether it's away or at home, doesn't really matter all that much. Um, and also looking at Suarez specifically, um, last season he was scoring goals, but I, I hated how he played because he kept falling over his own legs. He kept trying to dribble past uh, players, uh, but he could never get past anybody because he, he was too slow. Um he kept miscontrolling balls. He kept mishitting even easy passes. This season, he's not playing like that anymore. He's actually taking, he's surprising defenders. He's taking the ball past defenders. He's passing the ball well. He usually controls the ball well. And then uh, any given chance, you either score or you don't. It's, it's, it's part of life. People complain that he scores, uh, that, that he misses sitters. But Cristiano Ronaldo misses sitters. He's, mm-hmm. Everybody does. he's one of the best. He's one of the best ever goal scorers. Even Messi misses sitters from time to time. This is just part of the game. So that, that's something I'm not worried about. Um, I, I would say that I think playing Messi as a false nine with uh, Dembele and Malcolm to his sides um, would 
ask a very interesting question of the Liverpool defense that they might not be uh, prepared for. So as a curveball, I think that could be a lot of fun. Do I necessarily want to throw that curveball? No. We're going to play it to come now. I would throw a fastball. If the first game was at Anfield, though, um, then then I would probably play, play um, Vidal in midfield. I'd put Sergio Roberto in midfield, and I'd put um, Semedo in right back and Buzzi on the bench. These are the hot takes we bring out for Levan. <laughs> hmm. well. those, are, those are the ones. But And I think it is funny to see that it's going to... Busquets, much like Xavi, and uh, less with Iniesta, but much like with Xavi, when Xavi was no longer the guaranteed starter or should have been. Um, but Busquets is a little younger, though. That happened to Xavi in his 33-year season, and Busquets is still only 31. So the worry then comes in that, you know, is this Busquets' time, or when is he going to be past it? And are we honoring what he's been for the club for more than a decade, is oh, he... he's been amazing. Exactly. And, and well, actually, he's only 30. Sorry, he turns 31 in July. So in his, in okay. his year 30 season, is, it, is he, you know, to question if he's over the hill physically, probably not. But uh, the other thing, again, you want to uh, want to remind you that in the same way that uh, Barcelona play more matches than almost every other team in the world every year. So if uh, a player in a normal 30-year season has a lot less miles on his legs, particularly in a guy in the midfield, in defensive midfield, with what's been asked of Sergio, Sergio Busquets for the last 10-plus years, that uh, he's, you know, there's a lot of miles on those legs. So 30 for him might look like 32 for somebody else or 33 for somebody else. And unfortunately, that's just, you know, that's just the truth of it. And I think this season, I'm not ready to say he's passed it. I think I could still chalk it up to he's been out of form and he's just had a different role under Valverde than he ever had before under anybody else. And so it still just might be um, different things are being asked of him. So different, you know, he's all about knowing exactly where his teammates are without looking. It's just instinctively. And now if those teammates are in a little bit of different positions, he winds up making mistakes and he winds up succumbing to bad decisions and the pressure comes a little quicker on him. Um, And so I don't think I'm ready to be afraid or I'm going to be scared for him this year just yet. Uh, And that'll be a question to ask, I think, next season if, if, if we see more of the same. Well, I think part of it is the the position that he plays and uh, the the way that Barca plays uh, just makes it so that a person that plays that position cannot afford to make the mistakes that he makes. When Xavi's 34, but he plays a, a, a bit further forward, if he if he loses the ball, he does not lose the ball in, in, in such a dangerous position. Whereas if Busquets loses the ball, you basically create a scoring opportunity for the for the other team, either the opportunity to score directly or the opportunity to to give an assist to somebody who's in a good position. Between um, Conte and just the defensive midfielders in world football seem to be getting more and more mobile. You know, we're getting away from the days of the Pirlo and the Registas and things like that. And I think just the way the game is changing uh, has affected that position as well. And that's why he just kind of winds up being this anomaly at the position. And it's hard to compare anybody um, anybody to him at the moment. But uh, a guy that we also have to worry about for Barcelona, and this is our last question here, um, from Armin. Titi, where do we go from here? And this is coming off the news that he was unable to practice recently because of um, a flare-up in the knee injury. That again, uh, The reports are that he declined surgery when the club suggested it uh, and said he tried to do it on his own and come back that way. Um, obviously not, his own, not on his own, but with, with rehab and things like that as he tried to rush back. And people seem to turn on him in this way. And I don't know. I'm not sold on turning on him here. Um, now, if the club finds that 
to pay for Delict, they have to do that, then if you ask me to pick between Delict and Umtiti, I'm going to pick Delict. But I think looking at how good he was last year, he is, again, a knee injury for a guy his size is worrisome, even in their mid-20s. But I'm not completely out on Umtiti if he's able to rest and come back from this. Umtiti is an amazing center back. Um, I, I think, however, one, one of the problems that people make is they get emotionally attached to players. Um, so it's not about, you know, turning on a player or or not because the player is a professional. He makes millions of millions of euros and he's going to continue making millions of euros at his next club. Um, my question is, why on earth would Barcelona want to have Piquet, Langley, Umtiti and De Ligt in their squad? There, there, there are not enough minutes to spread amongst four uh, four central defenders of that quality, right? It's impossible. the the fourth cent uh, the fourth center back he plays what a couple of games a year. It's it's ridiculous. You're not going to ask Umtiti to play in between five or ten games a year. You're not going to ask Langley to play between five or ten years a year, ten games a year, and you're not going to ask De Ligt to play between five and ten games a year. It's yeah. it's absurd. You're not going to do that. You know who you can ask to play five to ten games a year? Todibo. Yeah. Who seems like an amazing talent. For five games a year, particularly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in the, it becomes very easy. If you want the Licht, you need to sell, not Toribo, but you need to sell either Piquet or Langley or Umtiti. You're not going to sell Piquet. No. Impossible. No, nor should we. He's the best center back in the world. Yeah. Are you going to sell Langley after the season he just had? You could if you think that Umtiti's knees knee will get better and you're ruthless enough to sell that guy after one season in which he exceeded everybody's expectations. Yeah, I see. I don't think... That, yeah, that doesn't make sense, though, right? It, it that doesn't, doesn't make sense either. Yeah, so, yeah. Umtiti is kind of like, you know, mm, I'm really sorry, Big Sam. You gotta go. Or you do not sign the Ligt. But if the Ligt really wants to come to, to Barcelona, uh, you'd be kind of... And you can raise part of that fee by uh, selling Umtiti, who might have a knee problem, then you get you sign the Ligt. It's it's the same as um, Coutinho and Dembélé. Like it would be great to have Coutinho in our squad, but Dembélé still starts. But then you have a um, 160 million euro player on the bench. Why would you want to have a player on the bench for 160 million euros if you can sell him for a hundred and um, sign maybe that striker that you need either this year or next year? Yeah, I mean those are the that's the squad management that's that's so so important and. I think that in the back of my mind too, there's something about PK. There's a smile that he has on his face that I know, you know, he, as you've said, and I agree with it, he's been one of the best center backs in the world this year. But I think there's a smile to him that makes me say, I think he wins a treble or he wins, he does a, a grandiose amount of winning. I, there's this thing that says maybe he's not here for two or three more years. Maybe, maybe PK goes, you know, I'm going to go play for uh, FC Andorra, uh, which, which I just purchased, uh, for another year or two, and then I'm going to hang my boots up and enjoy, you know, being a mega, mega celebrity in the world, um, along with my very, very, very famous, more famous wife, Shakira. And maybe that's a choice he makes. And I, I feel like there's something with PK. There's a question about him because we're saying on form alone, you don't make a squad decision based on PK because he's in the squad. He's one of the top center, right center backs in the world. So you stick with him. Um, but I don't know. The timetable on, on PK is the question here that I don't know. We don't know if he's 
I mean, we don't know if he's going to shock us all and retire this summer, or we don't know if he's going to stay for another three to five years. So, I mean, it's we, we have no idea what PK's timeline is uh, just because of the way he's bounced back now uh, and just how good he's been. And I think that's, to me, that's part of where the answer lies as well. Um, yeah, I, I can understand that reasoning. Uh, I think, personally, I think he'll stay another two years, maybe yeah. three. Well, that makes sense, right? Just, that's, re- that's a reasonable um, but, answer. But even if he stays two years, do you want to have either uh, one of those four center backs playing five or ten games for two seasons? Yeah. It's it's undoable. And say he stays two years. You sell him to the... After two years, you have the Licht, you have Langley, you have Tolibo, who I think will be a lot better than people um, people know. That's three center backs right now. I mean, even the Licht and Langley is not a bad defensive duo if no. uh, PK ends up leaving because Langley has been doing a lot better. Langley has been doing so well that we're basically one big camp now win away from 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 going for the treble because one match is what it takes. We need to decide this treble. We need to decide it in one match, which is the ne- which is the next match against Liverpool. Yeah, Barcelona are four. They, I mean, they really are four victories away from the treble. That's, I mean, this is a long podcast today. Uh, we've gone a little long because I think that's the thing. That's the exciting thing about Barcelona at the moment. That you know, we whispered around treble, we whispered around things like that, but realistically, they are four matches away. Um, they just, they basically, you know, even mathematically, need another win, and two wins wouldn't hurt um, against some of the bottom relegation fighting teams in La Liga to wrap that up. They've got a Copa del Rey final against Valencia. And then, as you mentioned, they basically are a dominating win at the Camp Nou uh, and then getting the job done at Anfield and then winning the Champions League final away from a treble. And that, I mean, that is how small the margin is at the moment. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty incredible, great place to be. And the fact that we're able to argue that there are spots in our team that we have too much talent and we have too much depth, I think is a great place to be in when you look back on a few years ago when Puyol was getting, you know, and they constantly said, we need a center back, we need a center back, and now we have too many center backs uh, just, you know, less than five years later is a great place to be in. Um, and Levon, oh. a, great, a great place to be has been this podcast uh, with you for the, last, uh, for the last 45 minutes or so. So thanks so much for joining me. And, you know, we usually say uh, where your Twitter is and we, we can find you there. So I, I want to ask you a different question today. Um, when people bother you on Twitter or you get into it with people on Twitter, uh, what's the best thing that people can start a conversation with you about? The, the best thing? Ah, just, just talking about the game, whether, whether it's Barca or anything else related to football. That's the best. And especially if it's, like, if it's respectful, that's even better because if you're respectful, then I'm respectful and everybody's happy. The, the, the worst thing that's hap- been happening lately is pe- people try to slide in my DMs trying to get me to, to buy tickets for them and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but no, not gonna uh, happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But uh, other than that, you know, um, I, I love talking about the game. I love talking about the club. I love it when people challenge my views, okay, because my view is not like it's not the gospel. So, yeah, just keep bringing it. And we'll try to keep bringing it every week. Again, this is the exciting time of the season. We've got more exciting guests upcoming. So for this show, at least, it puts a bow on it. Thanks so much for you, the audience, for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. 
You can also find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod for Levon's Twitter stuff. That's Barcelona. That'll be down in the show notes as well. You can just click on his name, give him a follow as well. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group where we got our entire show's content from. All the listener questions were directly out of that closed Facebook group. We also do deeper dives and discussions. And finally, you can help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. That's where I have my quick take match reviews, which uh, recently have been a little less quick because of how exciting and how uh, terrifically tactically uh, sound uh, Barcelona have been. And uh, again, the different nuances as we enter this end of the season here. So those have been closer to 17, 18 minutes. So that's additional content there as low as $3 or and maybe in one, there might be a $1 option as well. Again, you'll have to check that out on your own. And I guess the final, final place we are, we're also on YouTube where I try to bring out a uh, some kind of weekly content there as well. Uh, that's at the Barcelona podcast on YouTube. Check us out, hit that subscription button. And thanks so much again for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and for the Barca. Peace, Calasa. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.